into the presence of the Lord. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we pray that you were blessed, that you are blessed. Earlier this year, we started, we asked a question, what does it mean to be someone after God's own heart? And we started looking at the life of David, the one man in the Bible that God called the man after his own heart. And we saw that first David was available. Wherever they told David to go, David would go. They told him come, he would come. They told him go, he would go. He was available to God. He was always ready to serve. And then we saw one day that David was bold and courageous. He arrived on the battlefield and all the strong men of Israel, they were all paralyzed by a giant named Goliath. And David, as a teen boy, said, who is that uncircumcised that he would talk about talk this way about the people of God? And he was bold enough, and his boldness got him in front of King Saul. And Saul, desperate at this time, let David go to battle. So his boldness got him in front of the king, but his courage got him in front of the giant. And David was courageous because he knew that the battle was not his, the battle was the Lord, and the real underdog was not David, it was Goliath, because Goliath would have, to, would have to face God. And God gave David the victory. And from that point, God started to elevate David and brought him to the forefront of the public life in Israel, so much that God gave him success in everything that he did, and we saw that David was not only available, bold and courageous, but he was also diligent and effective. In everything that he did, God gave him success. So much that the people, when they saw David, they would say, Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So now they would put David even above the King Saul. So now Saul became jealous in his heart and started to hunt down David. So now David went from favorite servant in the palace to now an outcast, and, and Saul would go after him and try to kill him. But we saw that even though God was giving Saul, um, David success, in everything that he did, there were some things that David would not do. And a couple of times, he was in a position where he could have taken Saul's life, but he refused because God, David feared God. David feared God, and he said he will not touch the anointed of the Lord. I know God called me to be king, but I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I know God called me to, to his ministry, but I will not take matters into my own hand. I'm going to take, let God take care of that business because I will not put my hands on the anointed of the Lord. And David refused, even though he was pushed by his, by his own man to take Saul's life, he refused to touch the anointed of the Lord. And so God then took matters into his own hands and then allowed the Philistines, the enemies, to take Saul's life. And sadly, Saul and Jonathan died at the hands of the Philistines. And David became king. And David became king by God's doing. He did not take matters into his own hands. And David became king, and he became the favorite king 
of Israel, the, the, the most celebrated king of Israel. Even till today, the symbol on Israel's flag is called the Star of David. David is the most respected king that Israel ever had. So much that when his son Solomon is, is now becoming king and taking over, Solomon built a temple to God and he prayed to God and dedicated that temple to God. And here's what God answered Solomon during his prayer. If you open your Bibles with me in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4 to 5. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4 to verse 5. And so this is God talking to King Solomon. As for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I, I made this promise to your father, David. One of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. As for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness as David, your father, did. The promise that God made to Solomon is, if you do like your father. So now, God gave Solomon a model to follow to become a great king. And that model was Solomon's own father, David. He said, if you will do like David and obey everything that I say, basically be godly. And what we find in David's life is that David was godly and humble. And that testimony doesn't come from man. It comes from God himself. God himself, talking about King David, called him a godly man. He said, he said, as for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness as David, your father. And we see that. So godliness is, is, is to be whole, is to have integrity, is to walk with the Lord. And we see that in David's life. And we see a couple of things in David's life. First, we see that David was trying to be godlike. Now, we don't mean about being godlike in essence, right? Because nobody's like God. Nobody is as powerful as God. Nobody is as great as God. Nobody is as awesome as God. And when we see our God is an awesome God, those, those, those words only be, belong to him. Nobody is as beautiful as God. I, I don't care if you're a top model, you're not as beautiful as God. I don't care if you're a billionaire, you're not as rich as God. I don't care if you're a strong man, a wrestler or an athlete, you're not as powerful as God. I don't, I don't care if you have the whole military at your disposal. There is no one like our God. There is no one like him. But we can strive to be like him in his attributes in the sense of how he behaves. And we see that in David's life. When David was king, after he, God gave him success over all his enemies, David asked 2 Samuel verse, chapter 9, verse 1, and then 6 and 7. He says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So after he defeated all his enemies, David is asking, is there anybody 
from my former enemy's house that I can bless because of Jonathan, my best friend. And so they do some research and they find that one of Solomon, uh, Jonathan's son is alive, and his name is Mephibosheth. And, and just to give you a little background, Mephibosheth, when Saul was killed, Mephibosheth was five years old. And his nurse took him and ran, and when she ran, by, by accident she dropped him, and he fell on his feet, and he broke his two legs. And sadly, back then, they did not have the super medicine like we have today. So Mephibosheth now was handicapped from both legs. In the Bible, it would say he was lame from both legs. And so we jump to verse 6, and it says, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always sit at my table. You will always eat at my table. So David finds the son of Jonathan, presumably somebody that would have a claim to the throne if he wanted to, and rather than to do harm to him, he decides to show him kindness. How many people are grateful that we serve a God that desires not to do you harm, but that desires to show you kindness? God desires to show us kindness, and we see that in David, throughout David's life, that when David is faced with a situation where he can show kindness even to a potential enemy, God will show him, David will show him kindness because David is seeking to be like God. We serve a God that is showing kindness, and for most of us, we're like Mephibosheth, where we're, we're lame in the legs. You know, the people in the world, they say, oh, really? Religion is a crutch. You see, and they, they say that in a, in a derogatory fashion where, oh, religion is a crutch, meaning I am strong enough, I don't need that crutch of God. And I want to tell you that they are, in a sense, right. Religion, or more importantly, a relationship with God, it is a crutch. But the one thing that they don't realize is that everybody is handicapped. Everybody's handicapped. You have any doubt that everybody's handicapped? Just open the news and see the type of stuff that people do all the time. And before you point a finger at them, net tomorrow, that could be you. And so we understand that we are all broken inside and we are all in need of that crutch. Actually, in Christ, we have more than a crutch. We have a full prosthesis. Actually, we have more than a prosthesis. We have a full life transplant where Christ gave his life so that we would not die. He took our death. The punishment that was supposed to be upon us was upon him. And by his wounds, now we are healed. And so David, in his life, he seeks to be like God. He takes a lame man and allows him to sit at his table. 
And likewise, we now, as believers in Christ, the Bible says, he has made us sit with him in heavenly places. Now, do you understand that you're not only saved by Christ, you are co-heirs with Christ. So whatever Christ inherits from the Father, you as a believer in Christ, you also inherit that blessing. And that should blow your mind that God would not only save you, but he would raise you up to sit with him in the heavenly places. And so we see that David was God-like. He was trying to be like God. He was trying to show kindness like God. He was trying to be patient like God. And, and he restored unto Mephibosheth what he had lost. And God wants to restore unto you what sin has taken away. God wants to restore unto you what the enemy has taken away. Maybe you find yourself in a situation is this year or throughout this pandemic where you feel like you've lost something. You feel like you, you, you try to make one step forward and it's ten steps back. You feel like you're, you're not fully whole anymore. I want to tell you, if you come to God, it will restore you. What the devil has taken away. He will restore you what sin has taken away. What this pandemic has taken away. He will restore it unto you. And we see that David was trying to be God-like. Also, David was trying to be God-loving. He was God-loving. He says in Psalm 18, verse 1 and 2, he says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We find when we read the scripture, we see that there's no one that loved God like David loved God. We have a lot of love stories in scripture. We have Jacob and Rachel. We have Abraham and Sarah. We have Ruth and Boaz. It's a great story. But there is no love story like the story of David and God. There is no love story like the story of David and Jehovah. David loved God with all his heart and he manifested his love for God. Now he wasn't perfect. And we'll see later that David wasn't perfect, but he loved God. He wasn't flawless, but he had such a deep love for God. So that when he got the ark back into, the ark was with the Philistines. And David went and retrieved it. And when the ark came in the country, David like was so ecstatic because the ark represented the presence of God that he danced out of his clothes because that was the expression of his love. And he says in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. A mark of somebody that loves God is somebody that, that, that wants to know more about God. And how do you know more about God? It's by studying his word. It's by, it's by being in his word. And it's by seeking him in his word. And we see that David was, yes, he was trying to be God-like. Yes, he was being God-loving. But he was also God-seeking. He was seeking God. He says in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And David had riches. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of dough. But he said, you know what? I would rather be in a tent because back then, before they built the temple, God's presence was symbolized by the tabernacle, which was a tent. He says, you know what? I'd rather live in a tent with the presence of God than in a palace without the presence of God. I'd rather be on the doorstep of the house of God than be in the throne in the palace. If I can just be with God, then I'm going to be all right. And I want to talk to somebody. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel outcast. But if you can just be in the presence of God, you will be okay. Maybe you don't have all the money in the world. Maybe you don't. Maybe people reject you. But I want to tell you today that God does not reject you. God accepts you. And if you could just seek him and be in his presence, you will be okay. This one thing I seek is to be in the presence of God. Don't underestimate what can happen when you're in the presence of God. Don't underestimate what happens when you're in the temple of God. And I don't mean the building. I mean the throne room of heaven. When you're worshiping God so much that everything around you disappears. It doesn't matter if your neighbor praises. It doesn't matter if your sister praises. Because you're in the presence of God. You're in front of the throne of God. And don't underestimate what can happen when you're in the presence of God. And what we see in David. David was a man after God's own heart because he was seeking God. He was seeking God throughout his life. He would say, God, should I go there? Or no, this guy would tell him, no, don't go. Should I stay? Don't stay. They're going to give you up. Move. And then he would follow God. He would seek God. And we need a generation of people that try to be like God, that, 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 that love God with all their heart, but that seek him morning and night, seeking God. The problem with our generation is right now, we seek Netflix more than we seek God. We seek money more than we seek God. I guarantee you, let us do a conference where we say, tell people, we're going to show you how to make a million dollars, and the place will be filled. But we, that's not the people that God needs. God needs the people that will seek him for who he is, not only seek him for his blessings. God is looking for people that will seek his heart before they seek his hand. That were more concerned about the blesser than the blessing. The giver than the giving. And David was a man after God's own heart because he sought God. He was a man after God's own heart because he loves God. But in every relationship, even the best relationship, even the strongest relationship, you're going to have obstacles. You're going to have obstacles. And in, 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 at, the, at that same time of dedication, in 1 Kings 8, 46, Solomon prays, and he's dedicating the temple. And he says something very peculiar. Verse 46, the first part, he says, praying for the people, he says, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. So it's that big high of a moment where they're dedicating the temple of God, a temple uh, made like that would cost billions of dollars today. And, and, and he's dedicating it. And, and rather than to say, we will obey you forever, 
Solomon is very aware of the nature of humans. He is very aware that as humans, we are flawed. And he says this, he says, when they sin, not if they sin, it was that when they sin, for there is no one who does not sin. And then he continues asking for God to forgive him when they come back. Romans 3.23 says famously, For all have sins and fall short of the glory of God. And that was true of David as well. David, at a certain point, when he reached the height of his, his power, when he reached the, you know, he's established as king, he had, had, he had several victories, he became complacent. And we see that in 2 Samuel verse 11, and David, um, 2 Samuel chapter 11, sorry, and David stumbled. And it says, while the other men went out to battle, and normally back then, the kings would go to battle as well. And David was supposed to go to battle, but he stayed behind. He stayed behind. So when, while everybody else is fighting, David stayed behind. And that made him lazy and complacent. At that point, he's not eager anymore to go fight. He, he, he's resting on his laurels. So now he's lazy and he's complacent. And while he's out one night on the roof, he notices... Because his house is above all the others. He notices a young, beautiful lady, and she's bathing. So now he sees another man's wife, and now he's lusting, and now he's being lustful and covetous. Covetous. Now he's being lustful after Bathsheba. And so he, he goes, he sends his messenger, they get her, and then he has her. But then she makes a phone call, so to speak, where she said, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. So now, uh-oh, what he thought was going to be a one-moment thing, now there's a, there's a bigger problem. So now he's trying to cover it up. Now he's trying to cover it up, and he calls the, 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 the husband from the battlefield sent him to the house and try to have him spend time to his wife. But he says, I cannot go fight. I cannot go in while my, my friends are fighting. So he sleeps on the porch. So there is no confusion. So now David is, is a liar and he's corrupt because he's devising a, a, a scheme to try to get out. So he's trying to cover a sin with another sin. Now, before you judge David, I'm sure somebody here, you've been in a situation where you've tried to cover a sin with another sin, and then you try to cover that sin with another sin, and it never ends well. And when David sees that he cannot get him to go in the house, because Uriah was more godly at that point than David drunk, than David was sober, he gives Uriah a letter to give to the commander, and basically the commander would leave Uriah to the front line by himself to fight the enemy, and the enemies would kill him. And that makes David a murderer. So we have a lazy, lustful, liar, murderer. That's the man according to God's own heart. And David thinks that he got away with it. He thinks that, 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 that he's good, that he was able to cover it up. He thought he got away with it. But chapter 12, 
verse 5. So God sends. See, you can do something and you're thinking you're getting away with it. But God sees everything. God sees everything. And so God sends his prophet. And the prophet tells David a story. He tells David, there was this man. He had a thousand sheep. He had a lot of sheep. He was rich. And, and people came over and he needed to kill one of the sheep to, to give them food. But he did not want to touch his own sheep. So he went and took his neighbor that only had one. And he loved that sheep so much that he treated it like a child. And, and he took that man's sheep and he killed it and gave it to the stranger. When David heard that, David was livid. Verse 5 says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times, four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. But then Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are that man. And I want to tell you this morning, before you go out and judge somebody else, remember, you might be that person. Before you go out and you cast judgment on, 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 on the family member that's not behaving in the way that you thought they, would, they should behave, remember, you could be that man. You could be that woman. Before you judge a co-worker at work because they're not acting in the way that you think that they should act, because they're a little weird on the side, before you judge them, remember, you could be that person. And when Nathan told, said to David, you are that man, it's like David's life flashed before his eyes. David's life, eyes were open, and he realized that what he condemned the guy for doing for sheep, he did with humans. He did with humans. He took another man's wife. And here's how David answers, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. When confronted with his sin, David did not try to hide it. David did not try to justify it. How many times you talk to somebody and they did something wrong and then they try to blame you for what they did? Yeah, I did that, but you. How many times we try to justify what we did? How many times we try to cover it up? When confronted with his sin, David did only one thing. He humbled himself. When he realized what he did, David humbled himself and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And I want to tell you this morning or this afternoon, whenever you watch this, if you come to God and you say, tell to God, I have sinned. God will forgive you. God will forgive you in Jesus Christ. You can take that to the bank. God will forgive you. And you are not going to die. You will live. Because when you come to Christ, when you receive him in your heart, 
you get to live. He says the most famous verse of the Bible, For God so loved the world that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you come to him, you shall not perish, you shall have eternal life. David did one thing, he humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, now don't get me wrong, there were consequences. David had to live some of the consequences of his action. But at the pivotal moment when they were going to take David's life, God intervened and saved him. And God intervened and allowed Solomon, now the, the son of Bathsheba, not of all the other wives that David had, the son of Bathsheba to come and become king after him. He allowed David to live a long life and die an old man. And Solomon took his place on the throne. Because God has a way not only to restore you, not only to forgive you, but to restore you and to establish you. If you would just humble yourself. You cannot be godly if you're not humble. You cannot be following God if you don't humble. There is no quality that God loves more than humbleness. There is no quality that God loves more than humbleness. There was a bad king, bad, bad king, Ahab. Ahab was a bad king. He was married to a bad woman, Jezebel. And at a certain point, the prophet came to him and gave him a word and said, God is done with you. He's going to take your life. Ahab humbled himself. And God says, wow, did you see how he humbled himself? Because he humbled himself, I'm going to show him grace. That was a bad king. But he humbled. There is no quality that God loves more than humbleness. Here's what he says in 1 Peter verse 5. And verse 6 and 7, 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 and 7, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Understand this, that if you humble yourself, it might be tough right now, but if you humble yourself, God will raise you up. If you, you humble yourself, the, the problem that we have as Christians is we have a lot of pride. If you find that you're looking at other people from high, right? You look at other people and you think you would be better than them. You look at this person and you say, oh, I could do this better than them. Or, 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 and you look at them from a pedestal. Then God has to humble you. But if you humble yourself, then God will raise you up. If you know how to humble yourself, God will raise you up. And look what he says. The second part, he says, cast all your anxiety because he cares for you. A lot of times when we stumble, like David stumbled, we, 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 we're not humble, but we act like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, when they sin, they hid. They hid. They got afraid. They got afraid of God. And they, 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 they try to hide. But I want to tell you this, this afternoon, do not hide. Do not hide from God. Write the opposite. Even when you stumble, God is calling you back home. At any point while you're stumbling, God is calling you back home. He sent his son Christ so that you could come to him. Look at what he says in Matthew 11, 28, 28, 29. He says, come to me, all you who, have, who are weary 
and, and burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you find yourself and, and you're burdened by your sins, if you find yourself and you're burdened just by all the negativity out there, if you open the news right now, it's just so nasty. It's just so dirty. You see what people are able to do, and it blows your mind how evil this world has gotten. But I want to tell you, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come to him, and he will give you rest. He will give you peace. He will give you joy. Come to him because he is humble of heart. And if you humble yourself and understand that God cares for you, what you're going through, that thing that's hurting you on the inside, that's eating you up on the inside, he sees it and he cares. He cares about it. So come to him with a humble heart. So this afternoon I want to tell you, I don't, I don't care what you did in the past. If you humble yourself, he will forgive you. Your mother, your father, they might not forgive you, but God will forgive you. The media, the people out there, if they know what you did, they might not forgive you. They might cancel you, but God will never cancel you. Your brother and your sister, they might abandon you, but God will always receive you. If you come with a broken heart. If you come with a humble heart. And I'd like to close with part of the verse of the Psalms that we read, Psalm 51. Verse 1 and 2 goes like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And that's what David wrote when he was confronted by his sin by Nathan. He repented. He humbled himself. And look at what verse 10 says. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When confronted with a sin, what David was worried about wasn't popularity, wasn't money, it was the presence of God. He says, cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your spirit away from me. Don't leave me. Stay with me. And I want to tell you, if you come to him, God will stay with you. His spirit will stay in you. God bless you.